Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of the Song of Songs, which is the series that we are currently in. I've got that. I've forgotten something feeling. Anyone? Have I? <laughs> no. Okay, great. I just know it's a horrible feeling. And I think it's just when I stand up and give notices, I have an inbuilt, I've forgotten something feeling. It just happens. So that's great. So we are looking at the book of Song of Songs. We have got four more weeks, five more weeks um, that we're gonna, left in it. We're going to go through to the end of July in it. And um, we plan to do this towards the end of, towards the end of last year. And um, as many of you will know by now, if you're, if you're a guest here and you're not familiar with this book, then um, just to let you know, it's, it's, a, it's a romance. It's essentially a, a love song, a love poem or poems between a man and a woman. That, um, and you it's track their relationship really from sort of uh, courtship through to uh, engagement, marriage and intimacy and all of that and, and, and the highs and lows of that. It's a fascinating book. It's an unusual book. God isn't mentioned once. Um, and yet how it's been interpreted um, for centuries and centuries, um, initially by the by the Jewish scholars and now also by the, the Christian scholars, is that this is an allegorical book. It's it, it has a lot to say about God's relationship with His people and Christ's relationship with the church, and so that's really what we are looking at. But it's a book that is romantic, and we were planning on doing this book uh, over the first few months of this year, and we hadn't yet shared it with the church. And during our month of prayer in January, we were gathered down in King's Cross Baptist Church. Anyone was there on that cold January evening? Um, I think some of you were locked out. Um, but we were there. We had a great time praying. And at one point during the evening, I remember Jackie just prophesied, Jackie Benyon prophesied, the Lord wants to romance us this year. And, you know, Jackie had no idea about the fact that we were going to do Song of Songs. It was just, it was a wonderful prophetic confirmation. I was like, yeah, you know, it's like, this is so exciting. God is really with us in this. And, um, you know, he has been. He has been, and it's an immense privilege to have seen what the Lord's been doing over these days in us as a church. So we're, we are now getting right near the end. We're at the end of chapter 7, uh, and we're going to read that chapter 7, verses 10 to 13. It should come up on the screen. Here it is. We'll read this together. This is the bride speaking. So the church, the people of God. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved. Let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages, or I could say lodge among the henna plants. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these intimate words, these words of deep, deep joy and delight. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would make these words alive in our heart today. That you would, you would catch us up in the meaning of these words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Kids are still enjoying the praise time, by the sounds of it in there. <laughs> So what we've done is we've tracked through this book. What we've seen is the development of a relationship. Relationships develop. Relationships are not static. Relationships between friends are develop. Relationships between um, parents and children develop. Relationships between a man and a woman that find one another attractive develop relationships between a husband and wife develop there's something dynamic about most relationships relationships don't 
tend to remain where they are. In fact, if a, if a relationship stays, becomes static, it tends to find itself in a rut. And you tend to feel a bit stuck. They're always moving. People, people are very dynamic beings. And when two people come together in friendship, um, in family, in marriage, things move and develop and, are, and normally head in somewhere good, some, sometimes head somewhere not so good. We have tracked this relationship over this month. We have tracked this extraordinary relationship through ups and downs and through highs and lows. But we've seen it develop and we've seen it mature. And now what we see in this woman, this, uh, this lover, is, some, is, is I would say we're beginning to see maturity. There's something about her now that is, ex- that is looking uh, more mature than she once was. There's something about her now where she is, she's got certain attributes about her which speak of maturity. And what I want to talk about today, I've called this um, message uh, Three Marks of a Mature Church. Three Marks of a Mature Church. And I want us to, to look at, from this passage, three elements, three attributes that we see in her that make us, oh wow, that is something to aspire after. That is something that we think, oh yeah, we, we want to go for that. That's something. Now just to say, before I go any further, by the way, that maturity is a good thing. Uh, maturity's got a bit of bad press, obviously, in our culture. You know, the, 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 the more you can sort of remain irresponsible, um, the longer you can do it, the more celebrated you are. Um, but maturity is a really good thing. I don't know if you've got what your view of maturity is like. When my sister got to age about 14, and I was about 13, or she was 13, and I was 12, she suddenly got mature. Right? But she wasn't, yeah? But she suddenly got mature. She suddenly became a young lady. And I was still a kid, and she'd say to me things like, oh, grow up, Stefan. That was, that was her little phrase, oh, grow up, Stefan, you're so immature. And it made me have this idea of maturity. If that's maturity, I don't want to be like that. Grumpy, self-righteous. Um, that wasn't maturity, bless her. She's grown out of that now. She's a wonderful woman. But um, it was kind of like, that's not maturity. It's not being stuffy. Maturity is just when something comes to its full flower. It's like a mature wine. It's got all the depth of flavour to it. It's, 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 it's a good thing, maturity. And so when the Bible talks about it, and when we talk about it, we're talking about something really, really positive, where we're not just, we don't, don't have arrested development, but we grow into the full realisation of what God wants us um, to be. So it is a positive, positive thing. So here's, so here's the first mark of a mature church, is that she's confident. Listen to these words. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Wow. She is bold. She is confident. She knows who she belongs to. I belong to him and he wants me. That's a great place to be as a church. We belong to Jesus and his desire is for us. We belong to him. We have been purchased. The Bible says you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the blood of Christ. You're no longer your own. You are his. You belong to him. There's that wonderful, mysterious, spiritual truth that when we come to know Christ, we become his. And yet at the same time as we become his, we've never been so free. And all our years of trying to be free and independent where we ended up slave to our own appetites and all these other things, when we finally bow the knee and come to Jesus and surrender to his lordship and become his, we, ne- we are, in the words of that wonderful song, surrounded, but I've never been so free. It's like he sets us free truly. This is what he does. And his desire is for me. A mature church knows that she is loved. And we... What we need to know more than anything else is that we are loved. You know that? It's massive. We were made by love. God is love, the Bible says. 
And he lovingly knitted us together in our mother's womb. We were made by love making. What a wonderful, sublime thing that the Lord has done. That he would, he would determine to populate this planet with those in his image through love making. It's a wonderful thing. We were made for love. We were made to love. We, we realise our highest calling when we are loved and love. This thing, love, I tell you, you cannot get away from it. No matter how, how many cultures proliferate and multiply and develop, they all rate love as the highest thing. The heart, the human heart longs and cries out for love. The greatest battle for the human heart is around this area of the love of God. Does he really love me? The Bible says that the God of this age, Satan, blinds the minds of unbelievers so they cannot understand. They can't see the glory of God. They can't understand that this God loves them. It's a, there's a battle to be fought for the souls of those who haven't yet seen the love of God in Jesus. There's, something, there's a battle going on there to keep them from seeing the love of God. Because when you see it, when you, when, you, when you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and you meet this wonderful God who is love, your heart melts and your knee bows and you say, I want to be with you forever. That's what we're made for. Paul, writing to the Ephesian believers, he says, I pray that you would have power in your inner man. What for? So that you can grasp the heights and the widths and the depths and the breadth, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. We need power, brothers and sisters, to be able to grasp and, and, and pull into ourselves the love of Christ for us. It's a battle. It's a huge battleground because when you know you are loved, guess what? You start loving. When you know you are loved by God, there is suddenly within you a resource, a well out of which you can love others. There's a flow and an overflow. It's so, so key to the fruitful Christian life, to know the love of God. Our love is rooted in a revelation of his love for us. The Bible says you love because he first loved you. When you see it, then it's like, it's the image of the baby again. We've heard so much about it this morning. You know, when you teach, when you, when you shower your love on this little thing that can't do anything, and you spend those first few weeks and months showering love, thinking, is it doing any good? And then suddenly there's that day where this smile appears. And it's not wind, it's a real smile. And you think, wow, it's a real smile. And the response begins. And the cooing sounds and the imitation and they just want to be around you and don't want to lose sight of you. Think, what is this? They've been feeding off of your love. And then a response comes. And so every spiritual thing that we long for and hope for, I want to love my neighbor well, I want to be a man or woman of love, is all rooted in this revelation of God's love for us. And so to, to, to be in that place where you, where you dwell and bask in that, it's not selfish at all, that will help to rescue the, the many, many multitudes that don't yet know Jesus because you'll be able to shine out of that place the love of Christ to others. It's so, so important. So we see this confidence expressed in her initiative, she says, come, my beloved, let's go into the fields. She's, conf- she's so confident, she's even taking initiative now. She knows what he loves to do. She knows, she knows his heart. And so now she begins to come and take initiative. You know, it's a wonderful thing. When the church be- begins to be so confident in the heart of, of her lover, she knows Jesus so well. She says, come on, let's, let's, I've, I'm, I've been dreaming, Lord. I've been dreaming in the Holy Spirit. Should we do this? Jesus is like, wow, this is what I call co-laboring. This is what I call dreaming together. It's wonderful. When you get to know him so well, the things that start to move your heart are the things that move his heart. And you're just in union and you're moving together. This is where he wants to take us. It's a very, very high and lofty calling, but there's a boldness there. There's a boldness that the Lord wants to put into us. And the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
He wants to make us so bold that we draw near. We say, oh, Lord, I want to know your presence. He says, my presence is just waiting. Just draw near and I will draw near to you. That is the promise. So the first mark of maturity is confident. Confident. I know I'm his. And I know that he desires me. And brothers and sisters, I want us to grow in this as the years go on. We become more and more confident. We're not second guessing the whole time. Does he still love me? Am I still in? Does he, we, we, that we, by his grace, walk out of that to a place we just know. And even when you're in a season where emotionally you might feel dry, or you know, the Bible isn't really, it feels like it's not speaking, God's not speaking through the word. You're just in those seasons where you just feel, I'm out of season. You can maintain a consistent walk with God. You can maintain that sense of just, you know, you're able still to love and serve others well. Because you know, because you know, because you know, I am his and his desire is for me. And I might not be on the mountaintop, I might well be in the valley, but I know because I know because I know he loves me. You know, the Bible says there's two ways, you know, the love of God. The first is Christ died for us. You just know it. It's like, it's done. It's a historical act. He can't not die. It's, it's done in time and space. So I know he loves me. And we take our stand on that. And then in the same chapter, Romans 5, it says, God pours his love into our heart by the Holy Spirit. There is this experiential sense of the love of God by the Holy Spirit. Those two things are the, are the core pillars, the ways that we know we are loved by God. And we're to, we're, we're to take our stand on, and, 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 and stay by the cross. And build, in that, build from that place of all that Christ has done for us. And from that place of where we're just solidly rooted in the gospel, saying, Lord, keep pouring out your spirit on me. Keep, keep filling my heart. Keep, keep softening me with the experience of the reality of your love. As long as we're rooted in, in the cross and we're rooted in the gospel, we can, we can have as much experience of the Holy Spirit as we like. Okay, We're in a safe place to just say, Lord, we want more and more of you. So, so um, confidence. The second thing is expectation. She says, come, we're going to go and get some fruit. We're going to go and find something. It's going to be amazing. What are we going to go? We're going to go and look. How we're going to go and see if the vines, whether they've budded yet, we're gonna, whether the grape blossoms have opened, the pomegranates. There's this expectation. Of course we're going to be fruitful. I'm with you. Of course we're going to be fruitful. I know, I know that my whole storyline has been transformed by the fact that I'm with you now. We're together, and you're the, you are the vine. You're the true vine. And if I'm connected with you, I'm going to bear fruit. So expectation is a, real, it's a wonderful sign of maturity in a church. You see, this woman in this story, she's gone through the dark night of the soul a couple of times. She's gone through enemy attack. She's gone through disappointment. You think, wow, how is she? You know how she is? She's come through. She's come through, and she's like, all right, let's, let's, we're, going to be, we're going to bear some fruit. She's just excited. She's strong. She's fiercely optimistic. She's got a fierce optimism about her, even though all she's been through. It's maturity. It's what it looks like. How do we get to this place? You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus is our loving betrothed, as our, as our, as our loving groom-to-be. He washes us in his word, the Bible says, so that, there's no, so that when we finally are in that place where we meet him and are joined to him on the last day, there'll be no spot. There'll be no wrinkle, right? There'll be none of, none of that stuff, that, no stain, nothing that will make you go, there'll be none of that. We will be perfectly radiant in glory. And the Bible says, how do, you, how do you get into that place? He washes us in his word. It's the word of God. 
I mean, I've been a Christian about 26, 27 years now. And there have been seasons where I've been ravenous for scripture. Other times where, frankly, I have to force myself to sit down and read it. Why? Because I'm changeable. I'm a human. And some days it's exciting and other days it's, I just feel like I've read this bit so many times. I'm, I'm changeable, I'm human. But I tell you what, just remaining in his word is transforming. And I'm talking about something way beyond emotion or experience here. Remaining in his word is transforming. Something happens. There's a nourishment that comes. It's supernatural thing. It's very, very strange, to be honest with you. It's like, but you just recognize it. And it's important that we are uh, bold with it. But it is a bit sobering because what do we do with the reality that many, many believers do not give serious time to scripture? Many, many. Many charismatic, Jesus-loving believers do not give much time, serious time, at all to Scripture. It's sobering. It will have effect. You will be malnourished. It's not God being mean. It's just God saying, you didn't eat. (laughs) It it is something that if we're going to grow into this place of confident expectation... That happens when the word gets so into you that it's not believism. You're not trying to make yourself, it's just in you. And the promises of God and all that he said are kind of what your fibers are now made up of. And it's what flows through you and it's what shapes the way you live. It's, it's got into you in a big way. Just, but it's not, it's not like magic. I mean, wherever you're around will get into you in a big way. Wherever you are around, wherever you spend your time eating and drinking in that sense, that's what will get into you. We have to be sober and grown up about it. I'm not gonna, we're not going to nag you to read your Bible. We're not going to come and check up on you and knock on your door. You read, you read. We're not going to do that. It's not going to produce mature believers, but we will be honest about it and just say there's some serious downsides to neglecting Scripture. Here are a few. We live in a very persuasive culture. We live in a very, very persuasive and seductive culture. And it will win the day in your mind with its untruth. If you neglect scripture, because everyone is being washed in something. Brainwashing in and of itself is not a problem. It's just that's called life. Life is brainwashing. Right? Everyone's brainwashed. That's not the issue. The issue is what's it being washed in. So you're living in like almost 24-7 assault with a value system that is totally not the kingdom. So there's just, there's, you just got to wake up to it. It's our responsibility to discharge it and say it. We can't live your life for you, but it is, it is reality. Please consider, please reflect, please, because it makes a difference to, it makes a huge difference to so many elements of, of life. Here's another downside. You can end up with an idol without realising. Your, your view of God is simply shaped by sound bites and tweets and Western secularism. Dressed up in Christian language. And he ain't God anymore. It's not God. It's not, you, you haven't even got the Lord anymore. Something else. It's frightening the things Christians sometimes say. You think, and you think, you just haven't read your Bible. Or if you have, what you've done is you've read a sentence totally out of context and then spent your time reading someone's thoughts on it and a little prayer at the end. Sorry, folks, but. You would not read any other literature like that. It's an embarrassingly bad way of reading any sort of literature. 
been no thought given to it, no understanding of the context, no time, essentially, no time. I'm not being condemning, I'm just saying, we want to grow up. We want to grow up. You won't grow and unnecessary stains will remain. And you'll spend your whole time wondering, you'll be double-minded and all of that. You think, it's just the fruit of the fact that you have neglected something God's given you. Alternatively, if you just decide, I'm going to just give some time to this. And it's not really, don't go all like, okay, Lord, just make some decisions. <laughs> yeah, you decide, you go to the gym, I'm going to go there and you put in, just make some decisions like that. It might not seem very spiritual, but just do it, just prioritise. So I'm going to do that then, I'm going to do that, I'm going to, do that. I'm going to sort my life out. I have to frequently sort my life out. I sort it out and then I think, oh, it's not sorted out anymore. It's dynamic. Okay? It's, it's dynamic. You can't just sort it out. I did it oh, three months ago. I made some decisions. Great. Life has changed. Right? And you can, you can just you get, you know, so you've got you to keep sorting your life out. But as you sort your life out and make some decisions, I tell you now that you will, be, you will find yourself persuaded by the word of God. You will, find yourself persu- you will find yourself seriously unpersuaded by a whole load of nonsense out there. You'll see through it. And you'll go, how could I have been so dumb? How could I have been gripped by that thing that never brought any fulfillment or joy in my life? You'll just get... Because when people do stuff that's futile and fall into futile sins, it's not the behavior that's the issue. Well, it is, but it's, it's rooted in the fact that you've believed something that's not true. You've believed the message. You've believed this. You know, if, you, if you're constantly going to porn the whole time, there's probably some issues around just habitual addictive behavior that you need to think about. But at the root of it is a promise. This thing will bring you the intimacy, the joy that you long for. But it's not true. But you see, there's a sense in which you, something's happened whereby you believe that deeper than you believe Jesus' promise of fullness of life. And as I was saying to the guys before we were service, when we were praying, the Christian life is not about growth. It's not about believing new things. It's about believing the same things, but deeper and deeper. They get into you in a way where you go, oh, I really believe this now. And I believe it more than I believe this other idea, this other message. And a conviction comes, which actually enables you then to live, begin to live holy and righteous. It's got to get into you. If you just allow it to, it will. It's alive. Okay? It will do that. Okay? But you just make some time and get into the word. Watch what the Lord does. And you will end up, you won't have an idol, you'll have the living God. And you know, when you have the living God, he's worthy of worship. And you go, wow, he's amazing. I will give my time, energy, passion, imagination to him because I've seen him in all his glory. He's not just, a, he's not just some tame little thing. It's some little pussycat. It's a Western view of God. He's politically correct, a little thing. Oh, isn't he lovely? No, he's a lion. He's awesome. He does whatever he pleases with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can say to him, what have you done? He is accountable to none, but he is perfectly good. So that's okay. He's the living God. He does judge. He will judge the living and he will judge the dead. Okay? And it's such good news that he'll do that because it means he'll put every wrong right. The reason why we think it's bad news is because we've done wrong. So where does that leave me? Ah, the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't do away with judgment because of it. Guys, he's the living God. And when you get around, he's disclosed himself in his word and the spirit will teach us through the word. This is who he is. I find myself trembling before him and breathless before him because I'm getting it now. And he says to those of you that are so full of fear, he says, let me be your dread. Let me be your dread. That will liberate you from so many other fears. You walk in freedom. And you'll become 
shiny, <laughs> shiny. So just lifestyle choices. A disciple is a student. If you're a disciple, you believe you're a disciple, you need to be learning. Make some decisions. I was so many believers, you know, literally, literally. If you said to them honestly, this week, what decisions did you make in terms of prayer and the word? They say honestly, none. I say, how many hours did you spend in the gym? Five, six. Guys, the Bible says that physical training is of some use, right? So it's not a bad thing. It's of some use, but training in godliness has benefit for both this life and the life to come. Does your diary reflect kingdom priorities? Don't go, don't go up there high and low. Just does it. And I, 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 I'm made of the same stuff as you. I'm in the same war as you. I am paid to work for the church. And it is a fight to pray and read the Bible. It's nuts. It's crazy. But it's a battle for a reason. Because it's so, there's so much at stake. There is so, so much at stake. And then the final thing is, final mark of a mature church is obedience. Obedience. What a great moment at the Courage Conference where Mike Pilavati spoke about love languages, different love languages. God's love language is obedience. So true. It's there in the word. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And when we grow, you know, when we, when we grow into, oh, sorry, excuse me. When we grow into um, maturity, we, we, we are, find ourselves able to do things that we couldn't, couldn't do previously and I want to just give attention to something in the word here whereby this whole context here you would have noticed in today's passages they're out in the fields they're out and about they're in the fields and of course biblically in the fields we're often talking about harvest and we're talking and so there is something so key about obedience in witness it's a huge huge thing I mean I would say it's, it's where the battle is at its most fierce you do a seminar on prophecy, you can't fit the amount of people in the room. You do a seminar on evangelism, you better hire a small room. Sad but true. Sad but true. Why? There's something, I don't, I'll, I'll end up going, I'll feel guilty, or if I'm about, you know, I, you know, maybe you're here today, think, oh no, he's going to go talk about evangelism. You know. There's this battle, you know, Jesus commissioned his disciples, didn't he? Go and sh- share the word. Next minute, they're all they're locked in a room, terrified. You know, it's, it's, there's... There's so much fear and stuff around this, you know. But you know what? I just the Lord wants to liberate us. I, I, I feel fairly confident that as a local church, that we are entering a season where we, there will just be a, prolifera- a proliferation of really joyful, adventurous, fruitful evangelistic activity. And that's not because I'm some sort of prophet. I just know lots of people. I know it's starting to happen already. But also, you can't keep getting this close to Jesus week in, week out. And, it, and keep it to yourself, and it stay there. It's just, something's really weirdly wrong. If that we haven't been getting close to Jesus, if that's the case, because he, what he does, is he wins us with his love, and he says, "You know what? My heart is. My heart is for the one. I love you as part of the ninety-nine, but I want to. I, I want to get the one, and bring them in, and then get the one, and then get the one. It's his heart is for the one. It's it, it's there. You can't get away from it. And so and so she says, I she says, I want to go into the fields with you. There, I will give you my love. You want to be intimate with Jesus? Get into the harvest. You want to be intimate with Jesus? Go and, go, and, go and meet with those who don't yet know him and shine your light. Love those people. Serve those people. Speak the truth in love with those people. Talk about what Jesus has done in your life. You will make mistakes. You'll get it wrong. You'll blow it. Just fine. It's just the way it goes. Okay? Keep going. Okay? Just keep, you have to become more resilient, more robust. Where we just say, I, I, blew, we, I blew the biggest 
opportunity, I would say, probably of my life about two weeks ago. It was, you just sort of think, oh, Lord, what is the point? You know, really one of those, you think, you, do, you give up on yourself, you know, freshly. <laughs> and um, it really was, it was like there. And I was like, and then it was gone. And I was like, Lord, that was, a, what? So what, what now? We'll keep going. <laughs> Keep going. I confess my sin, ask him to forgive me, wash me, <laughs> cleanse me. Fresh sense of lack of confidence in myself, but confidence in him. Let's go again. Fresh sense of my need to be filled with the Spirit. It's, it, God, God will even use things like that to redeem, straighten you out. It's, this is the mark of a mature church. I want to I just lift up a, a few people just in terms of um, just honouring. You know, please, if you're not on the email of Dan, Joel and Adam and what they're doing in Seoul and Singapore... All you've got to do is read that and you're kind of, you, you're, you're like you've been on, you're some of some Duracell batteries in you for the day. You're just so, because ex- they've gone out there to do, to, they, they do to normal jobs and things, but they've gone out there to, to win people for Jesus and they're doing it. And everything fits, that's the priority. Everything fits around that. It's not all a bit of mission on the side. No, it's mission and we're going to fit everything around that. And God is so honouring them. And guys, that's three people. It, imagine a body in a location. Imagine what God might do. Imagine what God might do. We've got to really hear this. This is the reason why we set up our gospel communities. They are up. Yes, we pray. We worship. They are in. Yes, we look after one another. But they must be out. And it's, all, it's so quickly. Have you noticed how quickly it becomes up and in? It's so easy to just become up and in. That's where, where the battle is, is out. Because the Bible teaches that those who do not yet know Christ are under the wrath of God and are trapped in darkness. And Satan wants to keep hold of them. I tell you, Jesus wants to rescue them and bring them into his family and give them brand new life and wash them and give them a hope and a future in him. That's what Jesus wants to do. And he's commissioning his church to go and do that. So guys, we've just got to wake up to it and say, this is what we do. It's part of being a mature church. We obey the Great Commission. We, we, we do it faultingly, stumblingly, but we'll get better and better at it and more and more fruitful. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Living intentionally. Just living with your eyes open and your ears open. You might say, I can't. I tell you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You might say, well, who am I? That's what Moses said. Who am I? God's response, I'm going to be with you. Oh, a wonderful response. Who am I? You know, I stutter and all of these. Who am I? I love that. I love God's answer to that. It's really not the point. The point is I'm with you. So I'm going to make you fruitful. Come on. How deeply do you believe it? Do you believe something else more deeply? Right, get in the words. Get washed. (laughs) Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. God has such exciting adventures for us. He really, really does. Such exciting adventures. I'm going to read this little quote from this book, The Soul Winner. Such a superb book from 150 years ago. I mean, wow. This, this man still speaks. Just this little paragraph here. Suppose that by some painful operation, you could have your right arm made a little longer. <laughs> it's so funny. Spurgeon is so funny. It's just full of pictures and jokes. He got criticised for telling too many jokes as a preacher criticised he said he said I don't care they have to hear and if that's what we'll get them to hear then that's what I'll use he says, so imagine that by some painful operation you could have your right arm made a little longer I don't suppose you would care to undergo the operation but if you foresaw that by undergoing the pain you would be unable to reach and save drowning men who else would sink before your eyes I think you would willingly bear the agony and pay a heavy fee to the surgeon to be thus qualified for the rescue of your fellows reckon then that to acquire soul-winning power, you will have to go through fire and water, through doubt and despair, 
through mental torment and soul distress. It will not, of course, be the same with you all, nor perhaps with any two of you, but according to the work allotted you will be your preparation. You must go into the fire if you are to pull others out of it, and you'll have to dive into the floods if you're to draw others out of the water. You cannot work a fire escape without feeling the scorch of the conflagration, nor man a lifeboat without being covered with the waves. If Joseph is to preserve his brothers alive, he must himself go down into Egypt. If Moses is to lead the people through the wilderness, he must first himself spend 40 years there with the flock. There's a cost to this. A mature church says, all right. An immature church says, oh, but Lord, what about my this, my that, my the other? It ain't about you. It's about him. And we are sick with ourselves in this part of the world. It is a vile disease where we are self-obsessed. And it, leads to, it does not lead to life or joy or fruit. It leads to poisonous, horrible things. And mature church says, all right, Lord, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Will we give him our love in this way? Lord, we're going to the fields and give you our love. Lord, help us. If, if you're anything like me, you'll be going, Lord, have mercy on me right now. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm saying in myself as I'm preaching. I'm saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my selfishness. Have mercy on my preoccupations. Have mercy on the nonsense that fills my mind. Have mercy on my love of comfort. Yeah? Because we're all battling the same flesh. Okay, we're all made of the same stuff. But Lord wants to give us power in the Holy Spirit. To crucify the flesh and to become victorious people. Amen? I don't know what to do now. (laughs) But get the band up because that's what you do. (laughs) Bang can help us with some truth. Wash, wash us in the truth. Why don't we stand to our feet? If, if you just know, do you know what, Lord? I, I, wanna, I want to embrace the growth pains of maturity. Right? None of us want pain for the sake of it. You say, Lord, I want to mature and I'm willing to embrace the growth pains. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you do not know the Lord Jesus, I'll tell you, you don't deserve it, but he loves you. And he wants to rescue you from judgment. Okay? He wants to rescue you from fierce and final judgment. His heart's desire is that you experience his forgiveness genuinely. Genuinely. That you might be with him forever. That's his heart. And it, what does it require of you? It requires of you that you believe. Like, and I mean believe. Not just, oh yeah, what, tell me deep that you believe with your heart, the Bible says. That this... That this Jesus, God has raised him from the dead and he's alive today. And that you confess with your mouth, he is Lord. And you turn away from sin, repent of darkness. Dark things that you're into that currently grip your life. Whether it's obvious stuff, everyone goes, or whether it's just subtle, selfish. Do you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry. If you just know, you you need to make a response to the Lord, one or the other. You lift your hands where you are. I'm not looking, I'm just going to lift mine, I'm going to pray. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. And we need mercy, new mercy every day. We thank you, your mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. Father, sometimes I feel embarrassed and ashamed. I do. I do. And I know you don't want me to live under that, but I'm just being honest, Lord. Sometimes I think, oh, Lord, have mercy. Sometimes I wonder how different I am from the world around me. 
Sometimes I marvel at my, I marvel at the shortness of my concentration span. I, I think, oh, I just, I'm left thinking. But I thank you that through the blood we can come as we are and find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. And we come to the throne now. We thank you, Lord, that for us in Christ it's no longer a throne of judgment but a throne of grace. We come to that throne of grace. We say, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to reach a lost and dying world? Would you help us, Lord God? Would you deliver us and rescue us from selfishness? From just this horrible, small thinking, from just trying to get by, from help, help us not to get caught up with the worries of this age, rent and mortgages and stuff. We've got to do it, Lord, but Lord, that it wouldn't dominate our mind and our thinking and our waking hours. Lord, what a, what, what a joke that would be when we look back on eternity. But that, Lord, we would actually care about eternal things, Lord, would, would be at the front of our horizon. I pray that you would help us in it, Lord. Have mercy and help us in it, I pray. Here we are, we're standing before you, oh Lord. And we want to receive fresh grace today in your mighty name. We thank you, Lord. You close to the brokenhearted, Lord. We, we, want to, we want to be lifting our arms up with a sincere and earnest spirit, Lord. Not just going through the motions. So touch us, Lord, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing. Just get, you just, I tell you, we just, just constantly get washed in that truth. We're going to sing. We're going to break bread. But just, we're the church. You want to pray for your brothers? Just pray. Pray for one another. Minister to one another. Serve one another. Let's just be the body of Christ together in response to his words.